for agility's sake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kyle Spitzley. With me today is Scott Selhorst. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. How about you, Kyle? I'm doing really well. Thanks for coming in today. Uh, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I'm part of the transformation team that's helping Amway develop their their vision for the future of how we work with each other. Uh, as, a, as a person, I am a transformation consultant and part of the leading Agile team. And I've been doing that for several years and building on a background of about 15 years as a product management and strategy consultant. Okay. Before that, I was a software developer and consultant, and before that, mechanical engineer and not consultant. <laughs> awesome. Well, you got a, quite an experienced background, so that it's really uh, exciting to kind of bring those things to bear at Amway as we're trying to make this transformation happen. All that experience really helps, and we appreciate the work you do. So I'm going to dive right into a question that I've been posed before. Uh, it's been asked to me. And one of the things we've talked about in the past episode is our Agile workflow model. Kind of explained what is the Agile workflow model? Why do we really have one of those? And we didn't really talk a lot about why we have it. And so this is where the, the question posed to me was, why do we have to have a standard process to do Agile? Because that feels like an oxymoron. Um, so how would you respond to somebody in that, with that question? Uh, uh, so it's a great question. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance, but let, let me sort yeah. of tell a story to, to help connect it. Okay. So think back to one of my guilty pleasure movies, uh, The Cutting Edge, with D.B. Sweeney and Maura Kelly. Okay. There is a figure skater who— I've got to look this up because I don't know it. Sure. There's a figure skater who loses her partner for the Olympics for paired figure skating. And she recruits a hockey player. Oh, I have seen that. Oh, my gosh. And he's a fantastic skater, but he doesn't know how to do figure skating. Yeah. And so over the course of the movie, when they they realize that you can't immediately start learning a figure skating routine. You have to start where you are to get where you're going. And so over the course of it, they do training montages. You know, like I said, it's a guilty pleasure movie. Yeah. Right? But it's, it's about being effective right away and engaging with the teams in how the organization works to become more agile. And then from that foundation become progressively more and more agile. Hmm. And so by the end of our journey here, we're gonna win the gold. Right, but we can't go straight to being a figure skater Absolutely. and learning figure skating routines. We have to get the forms down and the, the basics first. Absolutely, it would be chaos on the ice, right? If you just yeah. if you walk out at the wrong time when the wrong music's playing and then you skate and trip on the roses, I mean, it's, yeah, it's that would be me. It's yeah. it's all messed up, right? So there's there's value in having a methodology that allows teams to from where they are right now become fairly immediately better. And then from that foundation, become progressively better and progressively better and progressively better. Right? That's, that's why in yep. one of the earlier podcasts, we talk about the base camp metaphor around it, it is a journey of moving from place to progressively more valuable and harder to get to place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's good. So that ties to our agile workflow model. We have this, uh, we call it, could call it a process, could call it a methodology. It's essentially how work flows through the organization, how an idea goes from an idea to a product or to, you know, code, something that we've developed or built. Uh, so how do that, how do those things in our case play together? So I'm looking at the agile workflow model and I'm 
based on what you've kind of explained and using this figure skating in a, a parallel, we can't go straight to uh, each team is doing it in their own way, right? The idea that each team can choose their um, their approach. We have to start with some of the basics. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, that's 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 part of it. Um, starting with the basics. The the other part is recognizing that, and and I have to get away from my guilty pleasure analogy. Um, recognizing that as a large company, we are trying to do bigger and harder things than small companies try and do. Right. Okay. Our ambitions are greater, and so we are tackling bigger problems that require multiple teams to work together mm-hmm. and to work effectively yeah. together. And the chaos of a solo routine, I'll try and tie it back to the ice skating as much as I can. Um, right? We, if everybody is out doing their own routine yeah. and using their own music. It's not synchronized skating. It's, yeah. Right? Right. It's everybody doing a solo show and it looks terrible. Right. We're not, yeah. not going to achieve the outcome. Right? Yeah. We're, we're not going to win if, if the two skaters go out and play different soundtracks and skate different routines. It's just not going to work. Oh, that hurts my brain just thinking about it. Multiple tracks playing at the same time, watching that, different light shows. So I, I, that makes sense to me. If, if everyone's doing their own solo routine, there's no way as a large enterprise organization that we can accomplish the objectives we set before us because they require synchronized effort. Absolutely. They, 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 and they require coordination, right? Delivering yeah. stuff at the same time. And, you know, the other, the other aspect of tie, tying this back into the, well, that just sounds like a workflow model. It doesn't have to be agile. Well, like, uh, that's kind of true. Yep. But there is also agility to it. And a normal workflow model, you can think of it as the needs of the organization, their expectations on us to get stuff done. You feed a bunch of projects into the system. Everybody works away at it until they finish the project, and then they declare success. That's not agile, and that's not what we're doing. That's why we have an agile workflow model, not just a workflow model. Mm. What, we're, what we're coming in and saying is there's some reason that somebody's designed a project. There is, there is some outcome for the organization. There are some goals in the market. There are mm. things we're trying to make better for the users. And make better for the users isn't build this stuff. Like mm. We're going to go build some stuff, but our goal is to make the world a better place. And we're going to make it better by building some stuff. But really what matters isn't which stuff we build. We might change it out. Yeah. And so now we're faced with the challenge of not only recording our activities around the things we build, but we're coordinating our objectives about why we build. Hmm. And so that's why we have a unique and specific agile workflow model so that the teams can change how they orient the doing of work mm. to being around achieving an outcome versus picking up all the items off the list, or right. I got a box full of rocks and I yep. keep going until I've emptied the box. We're not building a cool LOS navigation tool because it's a cool thing to build or because somebody said that would be nice. We're doing it because there's a, a problem that we're trying to solve, an outcome we're going after, or a behavior that we're trying to drive in the ABOs and the, and the customers that are part of this business, right? Absolutely. We're, we are helping ABO leaders be more effective at helping their organizations be more effective. Mm-hmm. And we should keep working until they're more effective. Yeah. We shouldn't stop working because our first idea is about what we might build. Yeah, we built that stuff and we shipped it and we launched it. Hooray. Yeah. Right? That's, that doesn't help them, right? We didn't spend the money. We didn't 
we didn't, as Amway, make a decision to invest the money so that we could say, hey, I finished all the items on my list. Right. You know, the clipboard is empty. Ta-da. Yeah. There's something of value that has to come from that for right. the ABO and the organization. Okay. That Well, that makes sense for me. So um, moving from there to this, the topic that I wanted to talk more specifically about with you today, given your background in the product management space, is part of our Agile workflow model, the four tiers we have, this, this port, or investment, portfolio, product, and delivery. Mm-hmm. And so in that product management layer, um, I'm looking for some insight into kind of as a part of the four-tier model, what, what is it and what purpose does it serve? Okay. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And uh, because we started with ice skating, I'm going to try answering it from a different direction than I normally do. Okay. So I want to, I instead of starting with the investment tier down and saying, what does the product team do to help? Yep. I want to start with the delivery teams who are my skaters and work my way up. Okay. So if I've got delivery teams and we're telling them, you don't declare success by finishing the work somebody gave you. You declare success by achieving the goal you're trying to achieve. Who are we telling that to? The delivery teams. Okay. I mean, this is my hands-on keyboard, right? Developers, testers, yeah. QA, coders, Scrum yeah. Master, right? I mean, it's it's my, it's my team who's... It's the guys who are building the thing. The guys who are guys building the thing. Guys and gals. Guys yeah. and gals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, it's the people building the thing. And we're putting them in an uncomfortable position. So if you think about yesterday's team... Mm-hmm. You give them a list to say, do these 20 things. I've got complete control. Right? It might be complicated. It might be hard. I can't do this one before that one. I have to do it in the other order. This one requires another team to do some other things, so I have to wait for them, and we need to coordinate and time it all out. But I know what my 20 things are, and when I'm done with them, I declare success. Mm-hmm. And I can choose whether or not to do them. I am in control of my success. That's a really comfortable place to be. Well, right? I love checking things off a list, feeling like I was accomplished. Right. And you focus on developing your skill. How do I get more elegant at writing coding? Writing code. How do I write more resilient, less brittle test suites? How do I frame up and design my architecture? Right. That is one avenue of improvement and it's still an important one. But we're making the responsibilities of the people who are building because we're building for other people. We're making it more obvious and more transparent that our responsibility isn't to build the 20 things on the list. Our responsibility is to solve the problem. Mm. And so as delivery teams, there are, because we're a large organization, there are two problems that we have to solve for. One of them is until somebody has a conversation with us, we don't know what problem we're trying to solve and what it means to solve it. And the second one is we're trying to coordinate with other teams because we're working together to solve big problems. And so that sort of exacerbates, mm-hmm. you know, it's in my, my 20 items and their 30 items doesn't make sense anymore if it's I'm trying to solve a problem and what problem are they trying to solve? And how do I know if the things that we choose to build are going to solve that problem, right? So yeah, we, we need somebody who is thinking at a level above this method, this class, this API, this code to this architectural decision, these users versus those users, this problem space, this definition of what it means to actually solve the problem, right? So that thinking about what direction we should go in, that's where the product team lives. They are, they are setting that context and providing clarity to the delivery teams so they understand deeply why they're working mm. and whether or not the work they do 
is achieving what it needs to achieve, right? And that's that sounds like a subtle thing. It's, it's really easy to just kind of let that statement fly by you, that the goal isn't to finish the work I planned to do, but to do whatever works required to achieve what I need to achieve, mm-hmm. right? That's the shift. And so figuring out and providing clarity around what we need to achieve at the level of detail that the hands-on keyboards folks can use is where the product team lives. Okay, so the product product team operating within this, this four tiers, are setting that, that direction of what problem spaces are we working in, how do we think we're going to solve this, um, and what does that mean, success, in the, in the words and the behaviors of the customer or the ABL, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's, and it's two points. So one of them is what does, if, if our customer is the ABO and we might be more specific and say a leader ABO or yeah. a you diamond know, may, or a platinum, maybe yeah. we're focused on founders platinums, right? Yeah. I mean, it can, it can be very specific or uh, ABOs who are trying to build a business around social selling or trying to build a business, developing expertise in beauty, yeah. right? There are lots of different ways of framing a subset of all the possible customers into ones who we can identify this is the problem they have this is what it means from their point of view to solve that problem Mm. and that's the lens by which we will judge whether or not the work we do is good enough okay so it feels like some of that time sometimes when we build the thing and we deliver it we get excited yay we finished our list it could be delayed like the actual change and the outcome that we're hoping for could be delayed, right? I mean, it could be three months after I've launched this thing that we start to see the shifts in behavior that we want to see. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely, right? And that, and that comes back to... It feels know, so unsatisfying. Like if I finish my work and then the change doesn't happen right away, it feels yeah, empty. Just think, think about it as a really long fuse, okay. right? Um, you're, the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. Yeah, right. Exactly. We're, we're not doing much of that. That That is more of an investment tier kind of conversation about okay. what trees should we plant because which hill needs to be shaded yep. 10 years from now. Yep. That's that's what happens up in that investment tier. And the We've portfolio already made tier. that decision, and that's why we're doing the things we're doing right. at the product level. Right. In, in other conversations, we've talked about progressive elaboration, right? Yep. And, and as, I, as I sort of teed up, I normally start talk down and say, you know, we're yep. setting a direction. We've got a vision. We have goals. We have ambitions. And then against those ambitions, we are developing an economically viable set of things we're going to go pursue, right? These are our near-term objectives, the key results that we're going to go measure. These are the, this is an approach that makes sense for the business. These are investments that are worth making. Those are the okay. kinds of those portfolio we're still in the, tier So we're moving, in, moving into portfolio. Right. But those decisions of the portfolio team, those are these are the the actionable actionable objectives we're going to pursue in the context of that vision coming from our investment tier. Okay. Right. That is progressive elaboration. That level of specificity gives us alignment and it gives us some clarity, but it's still not actionable. Yeah. It's still too vague for somebody hands on keyboards to say, I know which file to open, I know which code to add or change. Mm-hmm. That's where our product team is going to come in. And the other thing that it opens up. So I talked about loss of control. We, we have an opportunity to introduce some 
control is the weird word for it, but some collaborative control in that for every, if, if we're focusing on the problems that we choose to solve and we get an understanding of what it means to solve them, there's multiple ways to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. Lots of choices, right? We have multiple design choices. And so, but we have control over the collaboration cycle where we pick one of those approaches. And so in this four team model, the product team is fundamentally responsible for saying, here is the approach we're going to take to solve that problem, which has the long fuse, right? I'm, maybe I'm planting a shrub, I'm not planting a tree, okay. but I need my landscape to look decent in two years because yeah. eventually we're going to sell the house. You know, that's yeah. what they told me. Okay. And so as a product team, we can put together a point of view that says, here are the things that are going to cause immediate behavior changes in the market. Right, so there is some immediacy to cause and effect okay. that leads to over time achieving a benefit. So that over time, that's that that fuse that we're talking about, and how I said it was unsatisfying to wait for that. There are things we can look at quickly, in the near term, and say we should see shifts in these behaviors that are going to lead to those outcomes over time. Absolutely. Okay. So if if we use your yellow, the LOS example, if I am focusing on a problem of helping leaders better know who to interact with and influence in their business in order to make them more effective. That would be a good goal for LOS tool improvements. It's not add these data fields. It's not give me the ability to sort by this versus that. It's help me better detect where my attention will make the biggest difference for the people in my organization. Mm. And so whatever it is we have to go build to do that, right, that's the goal. Our portfolio team is going to set a direction that says, we believe that there is a lot of unrealized value in our organizations. Yep. We've, we have recruited and attracted fantastic people as our ABOs. And if in the right moments we give them the right guidance, yeah. they're going to be significantly more effective. That's our belief. That's our objective coming from our portfolio team. And then our product team is going to come back and say, okay, here, here are a couple ideas of things we can do to detect what it means to be in the right moment. Mm. Maybe we look at current performance. Maybe we look at past performance. Yep. Maybe we look at how some people are behaving differently than the average of other people. Mm. What, whatever it is we're going to look for, you know, this team I'm just kind of inventing and riffing yep. here, is going to form a point of view that says this is a way to do something that we believe will help with that vision. And then collaborate cross-functionally to come up with those ideas, first of all. And then secondarily, collaborate again around making sure that even as they develop a locally optimal solution approach to that problem, you know, given the problem that is our scope, this is the best way to approach solving it with blinders on where we're not looking at everything else. Then they collaborate with the people on the portfolio team who are looking both at a longer time horizon and across multiple product areas, right? So they have a broader perspective. And in addition to saying that might be the best way to solve that point problem, but that's not the best approach to take for consistency between how your team is solving that problem and these other teams are solving these other problems Mm -hmm. because they all combine together to changing our position in the market or changing our perspective, making making us more attractive as an organization because we have a broader mission of – growing our engagement with our U35s. Yeah. And so your approach, while it might be optimizing for one particular person, it's not 
consistent with the other things that we're doing. It's incongruent. And I think so, like a simple example would be that the experience is consistent. That you know when I use uh, one feature of an app, that the other feature of that app is also similar, or across the apps, multiple apps that we may have. You've, you want to have a consistent experience. Yeah, that, that holistic perspective is one of the things that comes from these sort of cross-tier, and I kind of hate to use the word tier because it isn't really a hierarchy. It's a, it's a separation of concerns. Each team has a different breadth of perspective and a different time horizon of perspective, but we're all working together, and it isn't I'm your boss, you're somebody else's boss. Yes, boss. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's that's really helpful. It, it gives me an idea of kind of what's happening at that product level and what's happening there. So who's involved in that? Like, what's the what are what are the roles on that team, and what are they what are they doing? Uh, at least a few of the key roles. Yeah. So uh, it's a it's a great question that that I I love that I get to use the phrase three amigos. Okay. Right. Because. If, if, if I think about my product owner who's sort of thinking about the needs of the business, that's one of my amigos, yep. and I think about my tech lead or my solution architect, either way, right, sort of representing this is the way we build stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I can have a test lead or a QA lead who is bringing testability into that perspective. I have three different vantage points who are all looking at the same problem we're trying to solve. Each of us has our own blind spots, yep. but collectively – because we're all looking at the same thing from different points of view, we are less likely to have shared blind spots. Mm -hmm. And so I'm bringing that cross-functional team together to collaborate, to develop options, solution options to the problems that in a broader organization we are choosing to solve. As I I mentioned near the, the beginning of our conversation, as a large organization, we're trying to solve large problems. So I also need to be able to coordinate across teams which is where Scrum Master comes in really handy at this product tier level, right? We're, we're all accustomed to the Scrum Master's role as part of the delivery team and helping those teams be effective and being a servant leader and solving problems so people can get work done, yep. right? They have that role as well. And as those teams become more comfortable with working sprint by sprint in an agile manner, it takes less and less of that Scrum Master's time and attention to help keep them operating effectively. Yeah. And they're really only getting pulled into solving problems, yeah. right? External problems that the team can't solve without them. When they haven't experienced yet. So the, the inertia of the team is, is it gets better. We'll just continue to that momentum. will allow them to continue to progress and get better without that scrum master being there to take care of it. Right. And the, but the scrum master stays as part of the, yep. they're, they're part of both teams, right? Yeah. Right. They kind of live in both worlds and all of this cross product team collaboration work, all of this coordination and orchestration work, in addition to solving problems for the product team, that stuff doesn't go away. Yeah. Right? So even if the need of a given delivery team for a scrum master to help them be effective diminishes over time, at the product tier level, that need doesn't diminish as long as we have ambitions to solve big problems, which we will never stop having. Yeah. Right? So, so that role is really important. So are we at four amigos now? Yeah, that- so so that gets into four amigos of like how, how the team is operating effectively. Okay. And then then the other thing that sort of comes in is appreciating that as we as we solve these bigger problems, starts to sound like it might be more work than four people could do. Yep. Right? Um there's for executives it's easy to have a conversation around, you know, while well, you are facilitating that conversation and you have staff who does the legwork for you. Right. They do the prep work so that you show up for that decision with all the background info. 
So think in sort of that kind of headspace. Like if we say there's more work to be done to sufficiently understand what it means to solve a problem, to identify the right acceptance criteria, all of the regulatory compliance limitations, all of the specificity of things that are going to work and things that aren't going to work is a bigger job than one person can do. Yeah. So you don't want to put two product owners on the team. Even though I've got two people's worth of product ownership work to do. Because then you've got two cooks in the kitchen. So you want to still keep a product manager, but provide them with support from a business analyst or a systems analyst. Right? People who have the same kind of wiring, but can pair up together to work in sort of a a T-shaped frame. I think we've talked about T-shaped collaboration before. And, and drive more of that specificity. So yeah. we're doing two people's worth of work, but I still have one product owner and one business analyst. So can you explain T-shape? I don't think, the, I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast. Okay, great. So, uh, so T-shaped is a way of talking about either a person or a team in having two sort of different frames of how they think about whatever you're thinking about. So I could have uh, somebody who's really broad and understands context and lots of lots of different perspectives and points that have to be considered. Okay. But maybe they're kind of shallow and I can have somebody who's super deep and narrow and specific and understands exactly how one thing can be done. Yep. But they don't exactly understand how all things can be done. And so the the deep person, right, the upright of my T can say for the thing we're thinking about, here is the best possible way to do it. And for the person who's the crossbar on my T, they can say here is the context in which doing that thing matters and how all things being equal, they're never equal, right? So how do I understand that perspective and trade-off? Like if, uh, you could have a driving expert who becomes exceptionally good at driving a car, but you, and that's my vertical. But I need yep. to combine them with a horizontal of saying, well, what kinds of conditions am I driving in, right? Yeah. We've, we've got blizzard conditions outside right now. Mm-hmm. Am I driving in the snow? Am I driving on a racetrack? through a neighborhood on a highway uh, where the drivers are on the left side of the road instead of the right. 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 I need that perspective and context in which to say, this is the right way to learn how to drive. This is the right way to improve a car to make it more drivable. I can't just be a narrow expert and I can't be shallow but broad either. I really need both perspectives to get to good globally optimal solutions to reduce the risk of building stuff that doesn't matter or building stuff that doesn't help the way it needs to. So in this case, we're talking about T-shape isn't one person knowing broad context and shallow expertise or deep expertise. We're talking about two people working together to right. make that, that come together. Right. It's always special when you find somebody who is independently T-shaped. Yeah. Most people are either wired for that breadth of perspective and a holistic point of view, or they're wired wired with detail orientation and specificity and accuracy. Yeah. So I know a lot about a little, or I know a little about a lot. A little yeah, about a lot. That's right. a, that's a great way to put it. And so we can combine that sort of T-shaped metaphor with the notion of my three amigos looking at things from different vantage points. Between those two patterns of describing people's orientation and aptitude we're more likely to make decisions that are going to lead back to those outcomes, right? We're, we're, we're asking teams to operate in a way that's less comfortable yeah. because they don't have control of, uh, I checked off everything on the list. My clipboard is clear. I'm good, 
Instead to say, I've got to solve the problem. Well, when I, on day one, I have this charter to solve the problem. I don't know what it means to solve the problem. I don't know on day two, after I know what it means to solve the problem, if the thing that I'm imagining building will genuinely solve the problem. So then what do you do? You do some research or mm-hmm. you throw the dice or some of each. Yeah. So take a small group and say, let's try this. Let's ask them, show them here. If we do this, is that going to make a difference for you? Yeah. Get some feedback and then iterate from there. Basically Abs- testing the hypothesis. Absolutely. Right. So we, an, another challenge is avoiding analysis paralysis. I don't want to spend forever doing a bunch of research up front and never doing anything. Yeah. I also don't want to just start running full speed before somebody tells me which direction it's important to run in. <laughs> yeah. Right? So we're, we're looking for a, a balance of the risk of being wrong with the speed of making progress. And so to your point, we want to build in some course correction. And the flip side, because course correction is the only way to fix when you don't actually know, and you never actually know. You're just more likely to yeah. accidentally be right or less likely to accidentally be right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like basically there's, there's odds. Like there's just odds that you're, you're placing a bet. And in some cases, you have higher odds or you have higher confidence because you've done some homework that shows that if I place this bet, I have a pretty good chance of winning. And the more we get better at finding or validating those bets before we actually invest the money, and make that bet, and the house takes it, the better we are, the more confident we are at making those bets and getting the, the results we want, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and I like how you framed one of the questions of what's the role of the product team as part of a collection of teams. Yep. So, it, like, think about placing bets. We're placing different kinds of bets. If the product team is placing bets about what things we should build to solve the problems we've picked, the portfolio team is placing bets about which problems are important to solve. Oh, yeah. So which, which bet is the investment team making? The investment team is making a higher level bet about where we want to be. Mm. Because where we choose to be competitively, you know, it, aspirationally as an organization, determines which problems we need to solve. Mm. And we could, I think we could add in there, wh- who do we want our customer to be? Um, as we're getting into... So this is probably not an investment level decision or consideration at this point for Amway. But at one point we thought we're going to be in the direct selling, multi-level marketing business. And so we want people who are going to buy products and sell products. Um, And that specifies kind of where we play, right? Mm -hmm. So that could be a place where we could say that was a bet we made a long time ago as a company that we've found great success in. Yeah, right. And, And so within the context of that bet, there's the question of what kinds of commerce or what types of products sell mm. well in that kind of a model and what kinds of products don't sell well in that kind of a model. Yeah. So that's going to influence what kinds of products we develop. At what level would you be putting that in the, the uh, model? That's going to land probably more in the investment tier than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, if, if I throw out a couple examples, it brings us a little bit closer okay. into the, like the product team space for the people who are listening because they care about product teams. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it all matters, right? But, um, you know, we're talking about this LOS tool. So there's, there's a couple different problems that we might choose to solve. So this is sort of a portfolio level decision. One of them is help an ABO who's a leader know 
who in the organization it would be most effective for them to talk with right now, right? So an LOS navigation tool, you can imagine instrumenting the systems, right? So it's some sort of radar that says bleep, yeah. bleep, right? And they know where to focus their energy. Yep. On a that's, specific person. Yeah. yeah, this is the person you need to call today, right now, given whatever. Yeah. Right, so that's one problem they need to solve. Another, and, and we believe that if they solve that problem, it will make them more effective at growing their organization. The people that they interact with are more likely to qualify or re-qualify or qualify at the next level up, yeah. right? All of, all of these things. But we're not helping them change and have a better conversation, right? We said, go, go talk to Joe. Hmm. But we didn't say, what Joe needs to hear is this. Yeah. So there's another problem that we could choose to solve instead, which says, in whatever context, for whoever you happen to be talking to, right, whether it's the optimal person to talk to or a convenient person to talk yeah. to, this is the conversation you should have with, right, with them right now because that's going to have the biggest difference. Mm. Those are two completely different problems. I'm going to go build different things to solve for them. So the portfolio team is going to place a bet. He's like, well, we don't have capacity to do both. Yep. We're going to place a bet about which one it's more important to make progress on first. Mm-hmm. And then that sets a context for the product team. So now the product team's like, okay, there's two different problems. They're both valuable. We now have alignment in this bigger picture that says, focus on finding the right person to talk to yeah. now. We'll deal with talk what we talk to them about later. Yeah. And then now we can say, what are different ways that we could build to help us find the person we need to talk to? You know, there's some analysis of history of interactions and behaviors that could tell us or maybe there's some point of view about the potential that people have so i could have two people who if i look at their transaction history they look really you know the same but one of them is killing it relative to their potential and the other one happens to be sandbagging it relative to their potential the sandbagger is the person i want to talk to to get them to change the person who's killing it is the person I want to talk to to encourage and reward them. But how? what do I go build to help me detect that? Yeah, to know the difference. Right. And so that's the product team's role is to come in and say, we believe this is the actionable level of detail of what it really means to figure out who to talk to. It's different kinds of who's important to talk to. Yeah. And this is the stuff we'll go build to figure it out. Yeah. And then taking that idea of what do we talk to them about, we put that on the back burner, put it in the backlog and say, that's a great idea. Maybe we'll do that next if priorities stay the same. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I love this example because we already have a business. We already have ABO leaders. They already have businesses and downlines. They already have conversations. They have things that they're talking about with the people that they're talking to. We're not introducing something new in this example. We're, we're taking something that exists and finding ways to make it measurably better. Oh, I love it. When am I going to have this? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? You uh, told me no names at the start of the call. So. Yeah. Well, I don't want to give away any uh, release information or secret details, so we won't go into that. But I love that the teams are talking about this stuff and thinking about this stuff because it's obviously good for the ABOs. It's obviously good for Amway. And it's exciting for the teams that are working on it. It's really cool stuff. Yeah. And, and, if, and if I could interrupt or preempt the next question yeah. to, to bring it back to one of the first questions, that's, that's exactly why we need an agile workflow model. Mm. 
because you and I can just have this conversation that says, well, of course, that's a really powerful way to yeah. frame these decisions and sense. to set direction and to give a charter so that people know what they want to go work on. This is a, this is a new thing for them to frame the work and frame whether or not the work was successful or whether or not I did a good job yeah. based on whether or not it worked. In the past, it was I checked my list and finished everything on it, so I'm successful. Yeah, just because I learned how to skate, I don't get to declare success. I already right. knew how to skate. You have to perform. Right. We need to get the gold. Yeah. All right. So moving on, we have, you mentioned this, we have multiple product teams, and we've talked. you talked a little bit about the kind of overlap between two things that might be working in the same space. Is there anything that you would add to that about how product teams work together? So I think the example we used was there's one team building something that they're going to solve it with the local optimal solution. There's another team working on something, a different part of that problem. And we have to be able to see across those product teams. Tell me more about how that works. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, everyone's evolved. This is part of our cross-functional collaboration. So everyone's aware. The three amigos, the four amigos, the... The, the, the four amigos at the product level, the portfolio team that they both are part of. Okay. And the delivery teams who they are coordinating activities across. Okay, so just to visualize this, there's a portfolio team that has a collection of products in their portfolio, so maybe multiple product teams. And then each product team may have one or more delivery teams that are doing the development and building of these things, right? That's right. So it's almost like you could stack it up and look at it as kind of a, a triangle. That's that's an if easy you, way to think about it. you draw it that way, it we're just breaking things out into more detail. Yeah, uh, let me see if I can make up a crisp example without breaking anything. So if I have a portfolio focused on commerce and I could have a product team who is doing mobile commerce yep. and a product team who's doing commerce on the web and yep. maybe I have another product team who's developing a retail experience, Yep. right? So each of them has different separations, right? And they're going to coordinate their activities in some bigger context. Yeah. And so now if I, if I go back in and I grab that mobile product team, I might have two delivery teams. I might have a delivery team who's developing the server side logic and interactions. Uh, I might have a, I might have multiple delivery teams. One developing for each platform. I could have uh, an Apple platform team and an uh, Android platform team. Uh, Windows Phone. When, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like no. my, my my list is shorter than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. The last time I told a story like this. Oh uh, yeah. Right. So, yeah, the Debian team is going to be there on the, on the website. <laughs> there are fewer players in that space. Now. There are. Right. But so so those different delivery teams have different focuses. Mm -hmm. Right. And Android and, and iOS teams might have similar focuses, but they're writing different code bases yep. or some balance of different and shared code bases. But I and then I have server side folks who are developing the side of that dialogue and conversation that is listening to the the apps that are the mobile or um, you know if I get back to ABOs I've got back office systems and front office systems right there there are products that teams here at Amway are creating with which our ABOs interact directly to do their work yeah and there are teams here at Amway building the systems that provide the logic that provide the reasoning that provide all of the you know, data. We, we think yeah. about it as back office or backstage. Yep. If I if I I'm if I place an order on a website, that's the tip of the iceberg of all of the systems that are involved in fulfilling that order. Yeah. Right. So I've got lots of teams who have to coordinate work. Right. If if I build the ability to 
let's say, do a new transaction where I make one purchase, but I split the payment across two different credit cards or yeah. two different forms of payment, if I only build the mobile app to allow me to enter that information, but I don't make changes in those back office systems to allow me to do something other than reconcile 100% of the invoice against 100% of one transaction, then it doesn't work, hmm. right? So I have to balance that stuff together. And so the different teams are coordinating with each other. And those, you know, those back office teams are often the back office behind multiple front office. So now they might have a different point of view about prioritization hmm. than the team responsible for the mobile app, who's like, this is the most important thing for the mobile app is we've got to fix the commerce thing. And then the, the back office transaction processing team is like, well, our most important thing is accelerating the quote to cash cycle time, right? It's not about splitting orders or changing to an API and enabling a mobile team to do whatever, because that's only 20% of our revenue, 80% of our, you know, we think there's more value associated with something that speeds up the cycle time. Okay. So two delivery teams with different ideas about what's the top priority. Yeah. Or two product teams with different points of view. And then that's where the portfolio team comes in to help sort it out. Like this, this agile workflow model if I'm a hands-on keyboard person, I'm thinking about it mainly as the model that helps me flow work through the system. If I'm somebody external, I might think about it as the model that helps the system and the teams collectively deliver on solving big problems. Yep. If I'm an executive, I can look at the system and say, that's a system of powerful decision-making. It allows for separation of concerns, right? Yep. That breadth of perspective, that sort of T-shaped metaphor. Yep. And a set of progressive decisions because we're, we're operating in a complicated, a complex environment yeah. of all the different things we could build that solve to greater and lesser degrees all the different problems we might choose to solve in the context of all the different market strategies we could develop in the context of the vision or visions that we pick or could pick. There's a lot of variables. There's a lot of variables. Yeah. And so the Agile workflow model walks us through a progression of managing those decisions mm. to say, here is a decision that we will at one level of concern collectively agree on. And then that provides clarity and alignment for the next set of decisions and the next teams with a different focus in that context, mm. who then provide greater clarity and focus and alignment for the teams making the next set of decisions. Right. And it just kind of cascades all the way down. And all of the different decisions that happen across the different teams in the workflow model give us a way to navigate that complexity mm. without losing alignment to our vision and without just sort of spinning, right? It allows us to all point in the same direction or all row in the same direction. Yeah. Okay, so I'm thinking about this, the agile workflow model. What's the most important step? I know this is an unfair question because there's not one. Um, but I'm thinking about when I look at the visual of our Agile workflow model, you've got things like solution definition. Um, uh, give me some other ones. What are some other things that show up on there as the chevrons? Uh, so we've got solution definition. We have our prioritization, release targeting, release yeah. planning. So there's a lots of different steps that we go through in there. And I think a lot of times the first question um, from an individual in their role is, how do I do that thing really good? How do I do solution definition or how do I do this design step really good? I get the sense that's not the most important part of this. I mean, it's important, 
but it's not the most important part of the overall system of the Agile workflow model. And I'm curious what you would say is the most important part. Yeah. Because uh, I have an opinion. Okay. I don't know if it's right. Uh, so when I, I'm a little bit weird. So I know. When, I know. That's when, okay. When I realized that I was adapting to more and more complex environments and that the, the world around us that we do work in is getting more and more complicated and more and yeah. more complex, I went and studied complexity theory. Mm. And one of the things that you are be, weird because I'm weird. <laughs> you're a nerd. So, so one of the things I learned, which is cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. All these things are true. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I learned is in a complex system, you cannot make progress by picking a single variable mm. and optimizing for it. Yeah. So you've told me this before and it blew my mind. Like, I love it because it's the, the environment we work in. You have to move those variables in tandem. Yep. And so different stages in the she- different chevrons, different stages in the workflow are differently important for different reasons. And I refuse to pick one Good. and try and optimize on okay. it. So my thought is, it's actually, I guess it's really unfair because I didn't explain this. The, the piece that I think is the most important is not a chevron. It's the interaction between those chevrons. It's the decisions that happen between the portfolio and product team or between the investment and portfolio teams. And it's that collaboration and decision-making where we're bringing data and a hypothesis and, and the results that we've found back to the table to say, let's make an informed decision. Let's, let's make a bet. And that collaboration feels like the most important piece. Obviously, the work that's involved in getting that stuff together is really important, but it feels like that's the most impactful piece of, of because it's not a, a throw it over the wall. Right. It isn't, I did my solution definition, psh, here, I'll pass it over to you, Scott, and now you've got it, and you do your thing, and I forget about it. We have to continue to collaborate and work together as we learn new things. That's right. That's the, that's the only way to attack our blind spots. So, okay, so your trick question was, which is the most important chevron? And your answer <laughs> was, it's the space between the chevrons. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so I'll come back to you, and, and maybe we'll wrap up with a count basic quote, mm. which is okay. that the music is the space between the notes. Oh, wow. I don't even know what that sounds like. Uh, I, would, I would say go, go listen on YouTube to uh, Straight Note Chaser. Okay. It's one of many Count Basie songs, and you'll get a feel for how he makes music by making pauses. Okay. I will listen to that. All right. Well, we are at time. I really appreciate your time, Scott. It's been really uh, fun talking to you and learning more about the Agile Workflow model. Um, We'll have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. And, and thank you. You know, it's been my pleasure, but thank, thank you for hosting this conversation and thank you everybody who has made it this far. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we will uh, be talking to you soon. Have a good day. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and share it with others. To learn more about Amway's Agile journey, follow the hashtag Amway Agile on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And if you're an employee, do that and search Amway Agile forward slash in your browser.